0: Break. 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 Breakthrough. 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 You are now listening to Breakthrough News. Thirty-four hundred nursing home workers in Connecticut win their demands for better wages and health care just hours before they were set to go on strike. Meanwhile, another four thousand nursing home workers are set to strike over similar demands in Connecticut in the next month. And a damning report of the state's response to COVID was released this week in details the horrible working conditions these workers endured during the pandemic. And also this week, nurses honor the lives of their colleagues lost during the pandemic and vow to fight on for those who survived. Every day, workers across the globe are rising up to defend their humanity and fight for their dignity on the job. In a time of both record poverty and record profiteering, the billionaire bosses have created the circumstances for workers to lose their fear and demand everything that they deserve. As the class struggle advances, the stories of workers are front and center here. This is On the Picket Line, and I'm your host, Monica Cruz.
1: Governor Lamont, hands off millions, millions of dollars to nursing home owners who don't give us a penny. We are not asking to be able to vacation in tropical islands as our nursing home owners did. We are asking to be able to put a roof over our family's head. We are asking to be able to pay for medication that we need to keep us healthy. We are we're just asking for basic human needs, human rights.
0: That was Paulette Boleyn, a certified nursing assistant in Connecticut and one of the 3,400 caregivers at 33 nursing homes who were set to go on strike today across that state. Yesterday evening, their union, the SEIU 1199 Northeast, announced that they had reached an agreement with management, setting a historic $20 per hour minimum wage for certified nursing assistants and $30 an hour for licensed practical nurses. Workers will also now have a pension and receive additional funding to cover healthcare insurance costs and wellness programs. But The fight is far from over for these workers in Connecticut. New strike notices were issued at 26 nursing home facilities for Monday, June 7th, and strike notices previously set for May 28th at 13 facilities remain in place. The strike notices combined cover 4,000 frontline workers across the state. The workers include certified nursing assistants, or CNAs, cleaning and dining service workers, and other nursing home staff, who are all members of the SEIU District 1199 New England. Governor Lamont has authorized the state's National Guard to break the strike and work with the Department of Health in replacing the striking workers. In Connecticut, nursing homes were the epicenter of the pandemic. Over 4,000 residents in nursing homes died because of COVID, which is over half of the total statewide pandemic death toll. Caregivers in these homes were already being underpaid and working under worsening staff shortages. When the pandemic first hit, they were denied personal protective equipment and basic benefits like sick pay. Thousands of union members got sick and brought the virus home to their families. Now, from my conversations with these workers and union organizers and from everything I've read and heard from them in the milieu of statements and press conferences over the past week or so, the absolute trauma that these workers experienced since the pandemic began is something that could not be understated, nor something that ever stopped getting me kind of shaken up. I mean, it's hard to to put into words how abysmal it must have been as a healthcare worker while the virus was raging as it, at its worst. I mean, walking into work every day surrounded by death and being denied the most basic materials to protect yourself and those you are tasked with caring for particularly dealing with a more sickly and an elderly population as these healthcare workers in Connecticut are. Workers couldn't do much more to stress the fact that this nightmare was largely preventable and that what they experienced was made so much worse by the conditions existing prior to the pandemic. A longtime CNA, Gloria Plummer, spoke at a union press conference this week about her experiences during the pandemic.
1: During COVID-19, we did as caregivers what was expected of us. We showed up to work. Some staff took sick, some died. Residents died without families or friends to hold their hands. Through it all, we were never gave up. I contracted COVID-19 myself. When I heard that the resident who sneezed on me died, I wondered if I'm next. One worker took it home to her mom. She passed away. The worker worker is still grieving the pain and sorrow that she caused her mother's death. So you see, we were called heroes and essential workers. Yet you refuse to pay us a decent livable wage. Our residents were the men and women who built bridges, roads, government buildings. There were teachers, nurses, farmers, housekeepers, handmen, etc. They paved many pathways for us. They worked all their lives. Now they need us. They need our help. They deserve better.
0: I mean, wow, as I said before, there are really no words, but those powerful words we just heard from Gloria Plummer, a longtime certified nursing assistant in Connecticut. Now, the CNAs that I got to speak with directly work at a facility with residents who were formerly incarcerated in the state's prison system and who are too elderly or too sick to stay in prison or to go to other probationary programs when they finish serving their time. Here is Jesse Martin, Vice President of the SEIU District 1199 Northeast, talking about the conditions in these nursing homes in particular. Here is Jesse Martin, vice president of the SEIU District 1199 Northeast, talking about the conditions in these nursing homes in particular.
2: People that are formally incarcerated or transitioning, and they're dumped into a for-profit healthcare system that seeks profit off their care. You know, there's a lot to be said about the for-profit prison system, right? The private prison system in this country. But you know, at some point, we have to start thinking about negotiations, about worker-led movements in a much different way to support and engage in the racial justice fight, because they're one and the same. You can't have economic justice without racial justice.
0: And these workers are largely from the same communities as their residents. Majority of these workers are Black and Latino, and in a number quite typical of the healthcare industry, 80% of them are women. Jesse described how this impacts their work and politics as the union.
2: We're not just a union, we're a racial justice organization. And this workforce in nursing homes around the country, particularly here in Connecticut, is made up of overwhelmingly women, black, brown, and white working class women. And if this workforce was white and male, they'd make more money. They'd be treated with more dignity. It's underpaid and undervalued because of systemic racism, because of gender inequality. And that cycle needs to stop. You know, we saw a movement last year of people marching in the street for racial justice. Well, racial justice also starts in a nursing home. Now there's no difference between having a cop lean on your neck and kill you or COVID choking you to death in a nursing home bed. And far too many people who died, workers and residents were also black and brown.
0: That was Jesse Martin, vice president of the SEIU 1199 Northeast. I also spoke with Paola Gonzalez, a longtime certified registered nurse at the 60 West Specialized Care Facility in Rocky Hill, Connecticut. Here she is speaking on the urgency of their situation. Our voices
1: need to be here because uh, we do uh, our job is not an easy job in we deserve a better pay and be treated with dignity. And we do a job with a lot of love and we take care for others. And we deserve to be treated the same way as we do for, for our bosses. They need, need to treat us right. And everything's going up in Connecticut, prices and everything, the gas, the food, everything. So our pay stays the same how we going to
0: survive. That was Paula Gonzalez, a longtime CNA at the 60 West Specialized Care Facility in Rocky Hill, Connecticut. Now, earlier this week, the Worker and Immigrant Rights Advocacy Clinic of the Yale Law School and the SEIU District 1199 Northeast released a damning report detailing the experiences of nursing home workers during the pandemic. The report, titled We Were Abandoned, How Connecticut Failed Nursing Home Workers and Residents During the COVID-19 Pandemic, overviews a comprehensive study of Department of Public Health documents and worker interviews describing unsafe conditions, understaffed facilities, inadequate compensation, and a lack of state oversight. Union Vice President Jesse Martin spoke on why this report was so important and backing up what workers had to say about their working conditions.
2: You know, in the heart of the pandemic, we were bringing forth the issues of our membership, pictures of our members working in trash bags. And one of the highest level bureaucrats in the Department of Public Health in Connecticut, a few days later, said publicly that the nursing home workers chose to wear those trash bags. Even when the state surveyors went in and proved that the workers did not have access to proper PPE, the state of Connecticut continued a narrative to blame workers around infection control procedures. And we had to go to Yale Law Students, an Ivy League College, to get the experiences of our members to be heard, recognized as truth, because some of the some of the people tasked with protecting the residents and the staff ignored what our members and frontline healthcare workers in the state said were happening to them.
0: He went on to describe the policies that the report put forward to reconcile the glaring injustices and inequality found in the state's nursing homes.
2: You know, it's, I'm glad we have the old law school clinic helping to give voice to people who are voiceless in our, in our society. But why do we have to do that? You know, it is the ultimate question. Why do we need to continue to, to have these types of things in a broader sense. And that's what the strike is about. That's what we're fighting for in our contracts and with and the policy recommendations of the Yale Yale report increase staffing levels. Mm Yes. (laughs) Right? Um, Increase pay to workers. Yes. Um, Increase enforcement and accountability for nursing home bosses. (laughs) Right? The cornerstones of fixing this broken system that provides racial and economic equity and justice to the workforce and to the residents that that are bound to the system because of their level of poverty.
0: Again, that was SEIU 1199 Northeast Union President Jesse Martin. And you could hear workers uh, Paula Gonzalez and Jennifer Bennett there laughing at the irony of the fact that these are truly common sense measures. Connecticut Governor Lamont has proposed a yearly 4.5% wage increase for the next two years, which would not be enough to establish a 20-per-hour minimum wage in the union contracts for certified nursing assistants. For hundreds of housekeeping, dietary, and laundry support workers, the proposed raise wouldn't even meet the state's minimum wage laws. It's a wonder why the governor is refusing to offer up what the union is demanding, because based on his own estimates, the state has more than enough funding for it. According to the Connecticut Mirror, the state has a record-setting $3 billion in its savings fund, and a state revenue report released just last week projected it would close this fiscal year with nearly $950 million more million left over. On top of that, more than $6 billion in the latest round of federal pandemic relief was earmarked for Connecticut, including $1.6 billion for municipalities and regional government entities and $2.6 billion in flexible funds for the state government. This more than covers the $2.5 billion deficit that analysts projected last February for the next two-year state budget and it also is enough to meet the union's demands. And tying this all together, of course, is the issue of healthcare access and affordability. Federal and state Medicaid funding has long been inadequate to meet patient care costs. On average, more than 80% of nursing home revenues involve patients whose care is covered by federal and state Medicaid dollars with all this extra cash in the state's wallet, there has never been a better time to give healthcare workers the pay they deserve and give our elders the care that they need.
1: Pamela Baker, Peggy Manning, Carol Smith Longfellow, Tom Vang, Eugene McFeely, Nubia Sanjia, Albert Isleta, Sherry Nunnery, Newman Kimiko, Jennifer Hayes, Jason Garcia, Marinette Agabal, and. Williamson.
0: That was the voice of a National Nurses United member at an action outside the White House on Wednesday, reading out the names of union members and nurses who passed due to COVID. All in all, over 3,600 nurses died as a result of the pandemic. Members of the union commemorated National Nurses Week this week and held two actions in Washington, D.C. on Wednesday, which they dubbed the Day of Remembrance to Honor Fallen Nurses and Fight for the Living. In the powerful action just steps away from the White House, workers stood besides 400 empty pairs of shoes, each representing an NNU union member who died because of COVID. Here's what one of the union members had to say. We are here today to call on the administration to issue an Occupational Safety and Health Administration Emergency Temporary Standard, also called
1: an OSHA ETS, and if issued, would help ensure the strongest occupational safety and health protections for nurses and other frontline workers. If nurses had a standard a year ago, many of these nurses
0: might still be alive today. The pandemic is not over and frontline workers continue to work without the protections we need. OSHA sent the ETS to the White House more than
1: two weeks ago, and yet it still has not been issued.
0: That was a clip of a National Nurses United member at an action outside the White House on Wednesday, commemorating the lives of nurses who died to COVID. Now, All the way back in January, President Biden signed an executive order directing OSHA, that is the Office of Safety and Health Administration, to consider issuing an emergency temporary standard, also known as an ETS, related to COVID-19. It's been held up for a number of reasons, mainly that the folks in the Biden administration, like Secretary of Labor Marty Walsh, have doubts that it's still necessary. Now, I don't know the exact number, but there's no doubt that over the course of this drawn out process, nurses and other healthcare workers have lost their lives. The OSHA ETS would serve as an extra layer of protection for workers doing this critical healthcare work every single day. This paired with the dismal reality for healthcare workers to me is enough to toss out any arguments that this measure is not sorely needed. Yes, the vaccine is being rolled out. Yes, COVID deaths and infection rates have steadily gone down, but I mean exactly as this union member said, the pandemic is not over and healthcare workers continue to put their lives on the line every single day and for that they deserve every bit of protection that the government can offer them, period. I'm happy to highlight a few more amazing recent victories for healthcare workers. Nurses in Maine voted to unionize with the Maine State Nurses Association. The nurses at Maine Medical Center, the largest medical center and employer in the state, have been organizing to form a union since the end of 2019. And no surprise here, the pandemic had only further fueled the workers' drive to get unionized. Management hired a union-busting consulting firm to provide mandatory training to nurses ahead of the election. And the hospital was criticized after it gave a small number of coronavirus vaccines to the consultants who had come from out of state. Despite this all, the nurses scored the biggest NLRB election victory since 2018. And 850 workers at the CGH Medical Center in Illinois have joined the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees. The workers pushed through a two-year anti-union campaign and intimidation by management. Their union was formally certified by the Illinois Labor Relations Board last month. While the medical center CEO expressed, quote-unquote disappointment at the NLRB's ruling, workers express their joy and readiness to sit with management in good faith and reach an agreement that will benefit them and patients alike. And that's it for this episode of On the Picket Line. Make sure to follow at BT Newsroom for the latest on Twitter and Instagram and search Breakthrough News anywhere else. Check out our Patreon for exclusive content.